Thank you for listening to the Soul City Church podcast. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook and Instagram at Soul City Church. For more information, visit us on our website, soulcitychurch.com. Soul City Church, how you doing here in this room? How you doing? That feels good, doesn't it? How you doing? All caps if you're worshiping with us online. How are you doing? We're so glad that you're here wherever you may be. Uh, joining us from. I'm so glad. It's such a gray, gross day here in Chicago, but if you're worshiping online, we don't want to hear about how nice it is where you are. Uh, We just want to know that we're so glad. We want you to know that we're glad that you're here, that you carved out this time to connect with God, to grow in a relationship with him. My name is Jarrett. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City, and I'm not only excited just to be with you, because I'm always excited these days to be with anyone. Just to be face-to-face with anyone is awesome. But we're kicking off a brand new teaching series today, and I love when we kick off new teaching series. John and I and the team have been working on this uh, for a while now. We had this idea of studying the book of Colossians over the next four weeks and really journeying together as a church through that. And I don't know if you've ever read that book or if you've ever even read the Bible before, but that's what we're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks. We're in a brand new series called Anything and Everything, and we're going to be looking at how we can find God in the midst of our everyday lives in sometimes the most unexpected places. And today is no exception. I'm so excited uh, for where God is taking us today. But I wanted to start real quick, if I can, just real quick with um, like a little like vulnerability, like something that I'm struggling with, something that I'm wrestling with. And I know you're like, that's not what I signed up for. I did not want you to do that. I just thought maybe, I don't know, I got like a thousand, a couple thousand of my closest friends here. I just thought I could just get real with something that I'm struggling with and that I haven't really shared with a lot of people, but I wanted to share with you. I'm really struggling with my iPad lately. Um, and cause it's really slow and like out of like, I think it's out of storage and it's really hard for me. <laughs> like I had a trip recently and I could only download four episodes of a show that I wanted to watch. And I had to delete some apps to be able to do that. It won't update. I think it's losing the will to live. <laughs> Talk about the oldest piece of tech I have. This is it. And I just thought, I don't know, maybe there's some other folks here who, who understand my struggle and what I'm really actually going. Wouldn't it be great if that was the biggest problem in my life? Good Lord, if this was the biggest problem in my life, my life would be incredible. Like imagine instead of seeing my therapist, I go to the Genius Bar every two weeks and that's my counseling. Like wouldn't that be an awesome life if that was your life? That is not my life. But it did get me thinking, this thing actually is really getting slow and really getting old. And it got me thinking about the tech that I've had in my life and how often I don't even think twice about it and and how it seems so revolutionary at the time. And then it seems like, doesn't it seem like a week later, it's totally outdated. And then there's a newer, better, faster one that's available. I don't know if you've thought about the shelf life of the the tech that you uh, may actually have in your life. For those of us who are of, how shall I say, a certain age, I'll just put it that way. Those of us who are of (laughs) a certain age, we have grown up in an incredible age of innovation. We have watched technology literally just expand and explode right before our eyes to the point where even my slow and laggy iPad would have seemed like a supercomputer 15 or 20 years ago. Have you ever even like considered for a moment how much you have at your disposal and how much, if we're to be really honest, we take for granted? Like how much power and potential we have and how much we take for granted. I, like just for a second, I want you to think back. Can you remember the first 
computer that you had. Can you remember the very first computer? If like probably it was in a special room in your house, the computer room. And maybe for some of you of a certain age, if you had to go online, everyone else had to be off the phone because that was, you only had 50 free hours of online. And so like, right. So you remember your first computer, how amazing, how cool it was. You're like, it can play solitaire. Like you were so blown away by the power and potential of that computer. And if you were to try and use that computer today, it probably couldn't even open a Google doc, right? Like it could not handle the things that you, again, take for granted on a daily basis. It's amazing to think how far and how fast technology has just expanded in such a short amount of time. And so I wanted to just show you uh, real quick uh, some highlights of how we got to where we're at. And and I want to show you actually something that was the height of technological computing achievement in the late 1960s and early 70s. And I'm not sure if everyone in the room can see it, but over here is a picture of an IBM computer called the IBM 360. The IBM 360. Now, this was a massive technological achievement. Came out around 1967. It started being available uh, to on, you know, mass market. Here's the deal about the IBM 360. It cost $130,000 at the time. If you were to round that number up for inflation, it's over a million dollars today. You'd have to pay a million dollars for a computer that literally would take up an entire room and a couple people to actually operate. And the IBM 360, as advanced and technological like NASA used the 360, incredible piece of technology. Do you know that of all that money and all that space and all those people, it could handle a whopping eight megabytes of storage? (laughs) So some of you aren't like computer tech nerds. You have pictures on your phone of fireworks that no one wants to see (laughs) that are bigger than eight megabytes right now. And then that's like what the world ran off of, right? I mean, that is absolutely incredible. And so, so big technological achievement, but then all that changed in the, the dawn of personal computers. Now it wasn't just, you know, this work thing. It could be a personal thing at your home. And many of you had maybe a personal computer growing up in the late 70s and 80s. We saw the rise of personal computers and no personal computer changed the world more than the Apple Macintosh. I don't know if any of you have ever actually seen one of these bad boys. Our family had one. I don't, I loved it. This thing was awesome. The, the Mac came out, the, the Macintosh computer came out in 1987, and it was the first personal computer that was truly portable. And what I mean by portable was it weighed 17 pounds but you could pick it up and walk it around. And in fact, our family had this weird backpack that you could slide that whole computer into and then walk you know, on your college campus to wherever you were going. So it, technically portable, but it, back when it was released, amazing piece of technology. And for $3,900, you could get 20 megabytes of internal storage. That is incredible when you consider that, again, given for inflation in today's economy, you would have paid $9,200 for 20 megs of storage. Now, our family obviously had the cheaper version of it, and it was an incredible piece of technology, but again, it just kind of changed the game, and before long, actually became obsolete, because then everything started not only being personal, but super portable. In fact, I brought a relic with me today that changed the game significantly. I don't know if you all can see this. This is a original brick phone, also known as, AKA, 
the Zach Morris phone from Saved by the Bell. And this was, we had a version of this in our family. My dad somehow got one. It had literally 30 minutes of battery. That's all you, and it cost $20 to make a phone call. Like it was not cheap or convenient, but this was kind of like the first time, because I don't know, maybe, I don't, does anyone in anywhere like grow up with phones that were actually on cords in your house? You actually had a cord? Okay, so see, these are my people. These are my people. You're my people, right? Jeannie's mom actually has two phones in her house with cords on them to this day. So this was a big piece of technology, but again, this wasn't for everyone. It was super expensive, but that all changed as soon as this baby came on the scene. Oh yeah, wait, 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 wait. Bung, there it is. The flip phone. Who here had a flip phone? Raise your hand if you had a flip phone. Online, just put it in the comment section. If you, I mean, this, God, I don't, let me just do that again for you. Bam, right there. I don't know if you could see how incredible that is. The Motorola flip phone changed everything because now everyone, you know, could have at least access to a mobile cellular phone. And I know, I, listen, listen, listen. I know some of y'all were born the year that this came out in 1997. I don't want to hear it. Okay, save it. I don't want to hear it in the comments. I don't want to hear it now, right? Because this was a, for those of us of a certain age, this was a big, do y'all remember texting on this phone? Do you remember what it was, it was like, you'd have to like go so hard. You're like, four, four, three, three, nine, nine, now shoot, four, four. It was like a word a minute just to text someone on these phones. And snakes? What y'all know about snakes? Snakes was my jam on my phone, all right? So this was, again, a big, big, big deal. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, the future is here. Until, of course, 2007 came along, and that's when the world was introduced to the very first iPhone, the iPhone 1. I don't know if anyone here, did anyone have an iPhone, like one of the first generation iPhones? Yeah, it was a luxury item, let's be honest. Still is to this day. The original iPhone 1 had eight gigs of storage. This was unheard of to actually be able to have on a phone, but it also had no GPS on it, no Bluetooth, and no front-facing camera, which meant no selfies. The world would have to wait for that technology. But it, but it changed, it absolutely changed everything. No keyboard, no, absolutely changed everything because now just, just about anyone could carry around the equivalent of a supercomputer in their pocket. For, for, for around $500 at the time, you, you could have access to anything and everything you could ever want or imagine. It was all actually available to you right there in your pocket or, or in your purse or, or, or in your man satchel or whatever it is. I don't know, wherever you keep your phone. I don't know. I'm not here to judge you. I'm just here to say this change everything. You, just think about this for a second. You need a ride to the airport, beep, pop, pop, boop, 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 and a stranger comes to your house and takes you to the airport. When you were a kid, your parents told you, don't get in the car with strangers. But now on my phone, I can just get a ride to wherever I want to go. You want to go on a virtual tour of the Sistine Chapel? Oh, there it is. Check it out. Even like right now, some of y'all are watching this gathering right now through your phone. This is, that would be incon... You were not going to watch a service on this bad boy right here. You barely had service on this bad boy right here. It is incredible. If you want to know how old the singer T-Pain is, you just ask and it'll tell you. And I know you may be wondering, how old is T-Pain? He's 36. I just wanted you to know that he's 36. I thought he'd be older. Anyway, the point is anything and everything you could ever want is all right here. All the information in the world right here. And you know, and you know what we love to do with it? You know what we love to do with all that power and potential? 
complain about it. It's not fast enough. Oh my gosh, I have no service here. Why do I have to be in these stupid woods? <laughs> Why am I at this stupid beach? I have no service here. Or maybe if you've ever tried to use GPS here in Chicago, if you try to use GPS in the loop, it's like the Bermuda Triangle in there. I mean, I, you're going to end up in Winnetka. No one's going to ever see you again. Like I have no, I can't help you there, right? Because so we just love to, like I have a camera, I have a camera that I can keep in my pocket at all times. I have a camera that my dad, who was a photographer, would have killed to have when he was my age. And what do I do with it? I take videos of my dogs eating watermelon because I think that's the content that the world needs. I mean, the, the, the incredible amount of power and potential, what was inconceivable 25 years ago is now commonplace today. What was utterly beyond our, our grasp now just fits right there in the palm of your hand. All that power, all that potential, all that possibility, all right here. That's inc- that is incredible to consider, isn't it? Absolutely incredible. Now, you may be wondering to yourself, is this a TED Talk? Like, I don't know, what, what are we, what, where, am I a part of Jarrett's new podcast, Talking Tech with Jarrett and Gene? Like, what, what, is, what does this have to do with, with anything? Well, I would say everything. It has everything to do with it. Because this whole idea of power and, and, and potential and possibility being packed into something so simple and so small has everything to do with your relationship with God everything to do with the power that God has actually already made available to you personally. And it really has everything to do with the question I want us to consider just for the next couple moments while we're together. And the question is just this, would it change anything? Like, would it change anything in your life to know that God has actually already given you everything? And think about all that we have that we take for granted, we don't even know about. Would it change anything? in your life, and your relationship with God, to know that God has actually already given you everything you need for your everyday life with him. He's already given it to you. Would it, would it change the way that you view your circumstances? Would it change the way that you view your challenges? Would it maybe grow greater gratitude in your life for some of the things that maybe you've taken for granted that this power and potential, it's not something out there that you have to get spiritual enough to grasp but it's actually right here. It's right here, right now. Would it change anything to know that God has given you everything? Now, what do I mean by everything? I'm glad you asked. I would love for you to grab a Bible and open to Colossians chapter one, because that's what we're going to be studying and looking at today. So if you have a Bible with you, uh, you can grab that. If you have it, see, here's another piece of tech. If you have it on your phone, Louis already opened it up on his phone right now. You can open it up on your phone. If you're worshiping with us online, open a separate tab. But there's a Bible, actually, if you want a physical one to look at, there's one under your seat in this room or on the arm rest uh, up in the balcony. And you can turn to page 953, page 953 in the Soul City Bibles or however you want to get there. Uh, let me give you some quick context into the book of Colossians. Uh, the, most people agree that the apostle Paul wrote the book of Colossians, that it wasn't actually, he didn't sit down to write a book. It was a letter that he wrote while under Roman house arrest. So he's actually a prisoner when he writes this letter to a young church in a small, insignificant town in what is now modern day Turkey, the town of Colossae. And and, and he's writing them a letter because this church was made up of mostly Gentile 
converts. What does that mean? It means people that did not grow up with the Jewish faith like Paul had, but people who had come to this way of Jesus from outside of the Jewish faith. And they had come to it with all kinds of spiritual ideas. The church at Colossae was greatly influenced by the Roman and the Greek culture around them. And they were people who were obsessed with, this church specifically was obsessed with new spiritual thoughts. Like they just loved any kind of new spiritual thought or new mystery. They really loved like you know, secret spiritual mysteries. And they just were obsessed with it. It became all the rage within their church. And it was really kind of taking them all over the place as a church. Because someone would come and say, what if God's like this? And they'd all go, yes. And then they would just kind of go back and forth with every new mystery or every new seeker, new idea. And before you like judge them like, well, they probably didn't have that deep of a faith. You and I do the exact same thing. We get obsessed with any new life hack or any new secret we think is going to change our life. Some of y'all read the four-hour work week a couple years ago, and it was going to change your life. You're back to 40 hours, but still, you love the book. You love the book, right? When Marie Kondo came out with the magic power of tidying up, some of y'all wanted to make her a saint, right? Like some of us have Instagram purchases that we made that we thought were totally going to change our life. It's that same idea. They were just obsessed with any new spiritual teaching, any new thought. And the last thing I want you to know about them is that because they were so affected by, by Greek culture and Roman culture around them, they came to their relationship with God with a a very dualistic sort of uh, framework for God. What do I mean by, by dualistic? It's like, it's like an either-or sort of framework with God, that, that, that it was either all or nothing. They believe that God was pure spirit and perfect in every way. So if God is pure spirit and that makes him perfect, then anything that is not pure spirit, according to them, must be pure evil. So you're either pure and perfect because you're a spirit, but if you're of the physical world, then you must be evil. Anything of this earth was evil. And so for them, this church in Colossae, their idea was that the only way, the best way for you to get to heaven was to avoid earthly things. They were real fun hangs. I can promise you that, right? Now, again, I grew up with a similar, as crazy as it is, almost 2,000 years later, I grew up with a similar kind of spiritual strategy. Maybe you grew up around a church or maybe you grew up in a church that specifically taught that the only way for you to be good was to avoid as many bad things as possible. The only way to be good according to God is to avoid bad things. And so what did that mean for me? That meant don't drink, don't smoke, don't cuss, don't do you know what with you know who, and don't hang out with the people who do. That was kind of like what I was taught, like just avoid those things and that will make you a godly person. The only way to be more godly is to be less human. That's what they had all in that pot simmering when Paul writes on this letter. And the big problem to a dualistic worldview, especially the one that they held to, big, big problem is Jesus. Because Jesus is not one or the other. He's fully God and fully one of us. He is pure spirit and also pure matter. He was of heaven and of earth. And this is what Paul is going at and going after in Colossians chapter one. And I believe it has everything to do with anything that you might be facing or walking through right now. So can we finally get to the text? Colossians chapter one, let's start in verse 15. Listen to what Paul says about Jesus the Christ. And I should say this as we're going through this passage. I'm going to stop every now and then. So whether you're looking at the screens or whether you're looking on your phone or Bible, I'm going to stop. And whenever I stop, you just shout out the next word. Does that make sense? I'll help you along. We do this a lot around here. If you're new around here, it's just kind of how we engage with the Bible. So I'll stop. I'll let you know. You shout it out. Does that make sense? Oh boy. Okay. Here we go. 
Colossians 1.15, the son, that's referring to Jesus the Christ, the son is, the, look, look, he's already unpacking it, is the image of the invisible God. He's already saying, you can physically see this invisible that you cannot see, God. He's the firstborn over all creation. Verse 16, for, what's the next word? For? In him, that's really important, for in him, what's the next word after that? All things. You're going to see that repeat again and again and again. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. You see what Paul's doing here? Kind of speaking right to their dualistic nature. Things visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created. What does it say next? Through him, and this is important, and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. Man, there's a lot in those couple verses. This is what biblical scholars call a Christocentric theology. A Christocentric theology. What does that mean? It means that it's a way of looking at anything and seeing Christ as the center of everything. It's a way of looking at anything in the Bible, anything in this world, and seeing Christ at the center. Christo Christ, centric center, Christ-centered theology. And what Paul is doing here in just a couple verses is he's speaking to the supremacy and the centrality and the authority of Jesus. And as an equal member of the Trinity, he's pointing out that not only were all things created by Christ, but all things were created through Christ, and ultimately all things were created for Christ. That everything, 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 not just the things that you might think are spiritual stuff, no, everything, Paul would contend, everything is spiritual because it comes from Christ, and it's for Christ. This is big, big stuff. Do you kind of get what that means, what he's really kind of getting at, what he's kind of setting the table for here? That means that everything, every planet, every galaxy, every star created by, through, for Christ. It's incredible to think about. In fact, I have a picture. Hopefully you can you can see it. This is a picture. I did not take this picture with my iPhone, but this is a picture of the GNZ11 galaxy, the GNZ11 galaxy. And I know what you're thinking. What a cool name. Listen, they're scientists, not marketers. Okay. It's the GNZ11 galaxy. And it was discovered this last year. And astronomers believe that it is the oldest and furthest galaxy detectable with our current technology. This is as far as we can see. The GN Z11 galaxy is as far as we can see, and there's still more. They estimate as best they can using all the highest level technology that we have today, that the GN Z11 galaxy is 13.4 billion light years away from Earth. 13.4 billion light years away from earth. Now, for some of you who may not understand all this and maybe you want some context, that's 13.3 billion light years further than the Ikea in Schaumburg. It's that far. It's literally, sorry, online, that is a very local joke. That is a very Chicago, local, very specific and not that funny joke. Uh, so it is 13.4 billion light years away from our planet. And astronomers know this. They know that there's so much more that they don't know because they just keep discovering further and further and further and further. All of it, according to Paul, all of it evidence that was created by and through and for Christ. You're starting to get how big this idea is. And it's not just a big one. It's actually a small one. It's an incredibly small idea too because Christ can not only be seen in the furthest and farthest 
star, but in the teeniest, tiniest little molecule, he is there too. In fact, this is a picture of a water molecule, if you can see it or not. It's a kind of representation of what a water molecule would look like. And for those of us here in Chicago, there's a lot of water molecules falling outside this weekend. And did you know that if you were to take right now, if you were to to pluck out a strand of your hair, I don't encourage you to do that, but if you were to do that and you were to hold that piece of hair and you were to lay water molecules across the width of it, I'm not talking the length of it, I'm talking the width of one strand of human hair, it would take a million water molecules to cover the width of one strand of human hair. Isn't that amazing? You don't even have to have hair to appreciate that. That is an amazing fact. And all of those, every single molecule created by, through, for Christ. Are you picking up what Paul is putting down here? He's saying this Jesus, kind of a big deal. (laughs) Kind of a big deal. Now, just a quick disclaimer as we keep moving through this idea of anything and everything. Just because, and and this could be a whole other message. I just want to say that. We don't have time to unpack this. It could be a whole other weekend. But just because everything is created by and through and for Christ, that doesn't mean that everything is perfect. It doesn't mean that there's not evil in this world. It doesn't mean that there's not sin. It doesn't mean that there's not harm and hurt and forces aligned and maligned against the work of Christ in this world. All you have to do is watch the news for one week in our city. And you go, okay, where's Christ in that? All you have to do is look at how we treat our poor, our under-resourced, those who are struggling to find shelter. You go, where's Christ in that? It's easy to find evidence of, of sin, of brokenness in this world. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that those things were created by Christ, but it also doesn't mean that you cannot find him in the midst of that. Do you get the idea? So there is evil, there is sin in this world. But everything that God creates, everything that was created by and for and through Christ, everything he creates is good. Now, what we do with it, how we treat it, that actually is a different story. Does that make sense? So Paul's going to continue on because he wants you to get this. This is in Colossians 1. Let's jump down to verse 18. It says this, referring back to Christ. Remember, I could pause at any moment. And he is, referring to Christ, the head of the body. That means the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, resurrected by God from the dead. So that in, what's the next word? So that in everything, he might have the supremacy. That's what I was just talking about. It doesn't mean that he made this hurricane, that he made this to happen. No, it doesn't mean that. It means that in the midst of that, he can still have the supremacy. He can still be on the throne. He can still be in control. What Paul is doing here is saying, again, how central Christ is to our relationship with God, that his resurrection by God from the dead is all that we need and all that is needed to be in relationship with God through Christ, but he's not done. He goes on, verse 19. For God was pleased, what does it say? For God was pleased to have all his fullness, all of God's fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. That means to make right, to make whole, to bring back together, to reconcile all things. One day, all will be reconciled and made well, whether things on earth or things in heaven. He's going back to this dualistic framework, things on earth, things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Okay, so you get what Paul's doing here. He's not being very subtle, right? When he's speaking, knowing what we know about this church in Colossae, he's not being very subtle. 
speaking to them about all their obsessions with secrets and with mysteries and their dualistic framework and how they look at God and how they look at the world. And I, I would say he's not being very subtle with us. His point is as big as it is beautiful. It all, let me say this, it all comes down to Christ. It all always comes down to Christ. That's Paul's point. It all comes to Christ. All comes to Christ. Anything and everything is created by and through and for him. He is the center of it all. He is the point of it all. And honestly, listen to me. Honestly, if I were to just say that's it, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Christ. It's all about who he is and what he's done. That God has done everything through and for and by him. And that's all you need to know. Listen to me. That would be enough. That would be enough for you. That would be enough for me to build our lives on that it's all about Christ, it's all about Christ. That would be enough to fill the lines of 10 million worship songs. That it's all about him, it's all about him, it's all about him, but Paul is not done. Because everything that we just read, all that bigness, all that fullness being poured into and being found in Christ is all a buildup that's about to have a payoff. So jump down to verse 26 says this, Paul, continuing on, says this, the mystery, he's, our, he's just speaking right to their obsession with mysteries. He says, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations is now being disclosed to the Lord's people. Verse 27, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. And this is it, which is Christ, what's the next word? Christ in, let's say it again, Christ, say it again, Christ in you. That is the hope of glory. That is actually what Paul is all getting at. There it is, the, the conclusion to his epic imagery about the supremacy and the centrality of Christ is ultimately this, Christ in you. All of that in Christ, all of Christ in you. That's the power, that's the point of what Paul is actually getting at. It's at the same power and the same presence of God that was in Christ Jesus the same power and the same presence that was on display in the creation of all things, the same power and the same presence that was on display at the resurrection of Jesus, that same power and that same presence is revealed in you. Just by you being born, it's revealed in you. You, you don't even have to be on board with God to know that you are actually a reflection, a revelation of the living God. You are made in his image. There's not a person you're going to see today. There's not a single person I can look at right now that you can look around this room or look around wherever you're at right now that you will see that is not created in the image of God. Just by being born, you reveal the glory of God. But Paul says there's more because it's not only that, by saying yes to Jesus, you not only reveal the glory of God, you release the power of God at work in your life. You release that power, you release that power at work in your life when you say yes to Just think about that for a minute. Ponder that. Consider that for a minute. All that power and presence. Think about it. Like, uh, let me just, I'm going to put up on the, the screens here God's workflow for a second if I can. I just want you to get kind of a second of God's workflow. This is it. Everything into Jesus into you. That's it. That's God's workflow. That's what Paul's getting at. Colossians 1 summed up right there on one slide. Everything, 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 everything poured into Christ. And then he says, verse 27, Christ in you. The one by and for and through all things were created is now revealed and released 
through the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Do we even I get how huge that is? How big that is? Like, think, going back to the phone. Like, think about that, that phone that you carry around with you. You know, the one that has more power than anyone our world could have ever conceived of 25 years ago, that one that you carry around with you and you don't even actually ever even think twice about. It's, it's kind of like that, all that power in this small thing, except times like infinity. That's what it's like for Christ to be in you. You already have everything you need for anything that you may face in your life. It's not out there. Paul says it's in you. Do you, believe, do you actually believe that that's true? Or maybe a better way of asking that question is, do you live like you believe that that's actually true for you? Do you live like you believe that everything we just saw there that Paul so beautifully laid out for us is true? That when you say yes to Jesus the Christ in you is already everything that you need for anything that you will face in this world. Let me, just, let me put it this way. There's, there's nothing that will come at you. Nothing can come at you that is greater than Christ in you. How's that? Let me say it again because there's some folks in the balcony. Students, I want to make sure that you get this. Nothing comes at you that is greater than Christ in you. Nothing. Nothing can come at you. Nothing from this last year, nothing in this now moment, nothing in the days to come. Nothing comes at you that is greater than Christ in you. No difficulty, no disappointment, no setback, no letdown, no heartbreak, no breakdown. Nothing that comes at you or ever will come at you is greater than Christ in you. I wonder, I actually am wondering, Louis, is anyone here actually believe that that's true for their life? Does anyone believe that there's nothing in your life that is bigger than the power of Christ in you? Do you know that's available to you? That your yes to him, it's revealed already just by you existing, but it can be released through you for whatever it is, whatever it is that you have coming at you, that you're walking through. You already have everything you need for anything that you may face. And if I'm being like really, really honest, not like fake iPad vulnerability, like really honest, if I would be like give you a real assessment of this last year for me, there were several times where I looked at what I was facing and by looking at how I lived, how I stressed, the fear that I held, you would assume that I believed my problems, my struggles, my challenges were bigger than Jesus. From when the pandemic first broke out and my first thought was, oh my God, we have to protect myself. We've got to protect our family. Next thought was we have to protect this staff. We have to protect this church. Next thought was, we have to figure out how to do this all online. And there were multiple meetings from home because we were all at home where I would end up going, I don't think, I, I, I don't, I can't, I don't know what to do. I don't think I can, I don't think we can do this. And the hits just kept coming from the death of my brother Scott to our family realizing that we would need to move so that our kids can be in a good school to figuring out how to sell a house and buy a house in the middle of a global pandemic. It was my first global pandemic. I'd never done one before. <laughs> to the racial reckoning and unrest in our city and around the world. In the, I can remember vividly in the middle of the summer, this last summer, I had what can only be described as a pretty significant panic attack, anxiety attack, where I, was, I couldn't move for about 30 minutes. Couldn't stop crying, could barely breathe, couldn't move. 
because I just didn't, I know this, this is one of my favorite passages from the Bible, but I didn't believe it. Because everything, and it just, it felt like the compoundedness of it was its own thing as well. It just felt like it just kept coming. To the death of my father, to having to figure out now how to do this church hybrid, and and it just felt like there mo- I could take you back to multiple times, if I were to be totally honest with you, where I looked out and I made my problems, my challenges so big. In fact, bigger than Jesus. Bigger than the power that Paul just walked through from the furthest star to the tiniest molecule, you know, all of that. I just didn't believe it for me. That all that power and potential of Christ was actually... In me. It doesn't mean that those things weren't hard, that they weren't challenges, that they weren't struggles. It doesn't mean that what you've walked through or what you're walking through isn't. It's not to discount or disqualify it at all. It just means that as I am now on the other side of some of those, I can see, wait a second, they were not bigger than Christ. They were not bigger than the power of Christ in me. I just believe that. That's not, doesn't mean that it's actually true. And somehow, some way, I don't know why, but it, it keeps bringing me back to this. Because I don't want it to be said of me when, when someone makes an account of my life one day when I'm gone, I don't want it to be said of me that I had all this processing power, all this potential, all this instant information at my fingertips, all that I could ever need right here in my hand. And all I could think to do with this incredible gift of technology was to just scroll through Instagram with it. Oh, Their life looks nice. Oh, that's a good quote. I bet the rest of their house isn't that clean. Like, I don't want that to be the story of my life. I had all this power and potential and that's what I used it for. And I don't think you want that to be said of your life with God. All this power, all this potential to actually have the power and potential to forgive, but to choose not to all the power and potential to forgive as God forgives you, as Jesus did on the cross and modeled for each and every one of us. And yet I still hold a grudge? I mean, I could, but I don't. All the power and potential to love, to encourage, to speak love, to speak life to someone. And I choose to gossip? I choose to tear someone down, either in person or in the comment section or behind their back? all that power and potential and that's what I choose to use it for? To have all the power and potential to trust God, to be generous, to give, to sacrifice, to give of myself and I chose scarcity? I chose to hoard it? I don't want that to be said of my life. And my hunch is, I don't think you want that to be said of you. And so if I can, the keys started, so that means I have to finish. It's like the Oscars. I... Can I just close by lovingly leaning in as one of your pastors in this moment? Can I just lovingly lean in? See, I think there's, I think there's a lot of us, and I would put myself in that camp. I just told you from this last year and a half or so. I think there's a lot of us who tend to play small with God. After everything that Paul just walked us through, my response at times can be to play small with God. It doesn't mean that I don't know how to go big in other things in my life, right? I mean, some of, some of us know how to go big at work. You give all of yourself to work. You give 110%, right? You go big there. Some of y'all really are going big this summer. I mean, I know that. Like, 
you are out and about. You are making up for a, a year of being locked in. It doesn't matter. Every round of golf, you're playing it. Every bar, every barbecue, every event, every concert. I don't even care who's playing. Let's go. It's like, you are out. You're out. You're out. You're out. You're out. I get it. That's beautiful. That's a wonderful thing. It's not like we don't know how to go big. We know how to go big in plenty of places in our life. The question is, am I playing small though with God? Am I playing small with God when it comes to all the power and potential of Christ in me, of Christ in you? Are you still playing it small? You're still gonna go back to the, those small ways, holding back, holding back, second guessing, I don't know, I don't know. Choosing to live off of your own power or your own will or your own wisdom or your own way. Are you playing it small? with God. Can I just say this? I don't think God gave his all for me to play small. I just don't think he went through all that he did, as we just saw in Colossians 1, for my response to just be to play it small with God. Measured, controlled. Oh, maybe I'll log in for a little bit, or I'll like their post on Instagram. None of those things are bad. I just, I think there's more. I just think there's more for you. I think there's more for me. I mean, God literally went all in for you. He went all in for me. And so I guess the question would be, what would it look like for you this week or, or for even for you this summer to go all in with him? To not just let all of that power and potential be in you, but to actually see it move through you into the lives of others, into the people that are in your life, into the people that are in the city, that are in our world, to actually trust him like, like never before, to, to connect with God like never before through through prayer or through meditation, through the Bible, through, through worship, through, through here, through, through being a part of what God's doing here, through being a part of a spiritual community. So to, to not let the story of this summer be just that you made up for lost time, but that you took new ground with God, that you refused to go back to playing small. In light of all that he's done, all that he's done for you, for me, I don't want to play small. I would actually live like I believe that I already have everything that I need for anything that I'll face. And so I want to pray for us towards that end. I want to give you some, some homework. Here's your homework. This is really a simple assignment this week. As, as you find yourself playing it small, because we all do, we all will, you know, you find yourself playing, here's how I know for me personally, I'm playing it small. It's when my problems seem bigger than anything else in the world. Like I have a hard conversation coming up with this week that I know I need to have. I've made it so big. I mean, I've, I've done a thousand scenarios where they're all terrible, right? And so I've made it so, so big. Well, wait a second. No, it's that, why am I living in so much fear of that conversation? I believe that I have the power to speak love and truth through the power of Christ in me. I want to believe that. So when I'm, you know, playing small, all my problems get bigger and bigger and bigger. Or maybe for you, you're feeling, you know, feeling overwhelmed or you're just kind of second guessing or falling back on your own will, your own way, your own power this week. Here's your assignment. And this is the easiest assignment I think I could ever give you. Here's all I'm going to ask you to do this week. Will you simply just look around? It, here's what might help. Look up to the sky and know that there's not a thing that you can see that wasn't created by, for, and through Christ. If you're here in the city, look at the three stars that we can see <laughs> in the sky. You know, it's like, oh, 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 yeah. There's probably more, right? Or look at a tree, you know? Look at a flower and go, oh my God, what God creates is good. And if this can grow, I can grow through this season. He might want to grow something new in me. And so when you're feeling like you're playing it small and your problems are getting too big, to just stop and look around for the evidence of the glory of God on display. 
And if you're stuck and you're like, I'm in an office cube, I can't look at like, I'm just, I don't, I can't see anything. Look at yourself. You're a revelation of the glory of God. And I believe when you are in relationship with God, that power is just waiting to be released. That glory is waiting to be released through you. So I want to pray for us towards that end. Would you stand up right here? And if you're with us online, I want to ask you to pray with us as well to not miss this moment with God. And we take a posture of prayer that I love around here. We open our hands up. Just a simple way of just saying yes to God. I'm open, I'm available. So we're gonna open our hands up right now in prayer. And I just wanna pray for each of us towards that end. Jesus, thank you, thank you. And I, you know what, I just feel, I just feel like there's anyone here right now who wants to, who needs to say yes to Jesus. Why don't you just say it right now? Like you're so tired of having to figure it out on your own. You're so tired of your own power, your own strength, your own wisdom, and you know that there's more. If maybe today the whole reason you're here, you're worshiping with us online, the whole reason someone sent you this message is right now for you to say, yes, I want that kind of power in my life. I've burned through every other kind of power and it left me even more empty. I want that power that never runs dry, that always satisfies, that always has more in store for me. And if you want to say yes to Jesus right now, that's all you have to do is say yes. Yes. I confess I've been doing it on my own strength, my own power, my way. I choose your way. Say yes to your way today, Jesus. And let that power fall on and flow through your life. And I pray that for every one of my brothers and sisters all over the world right now, I pray that for them, that we would not just play small settle with the fact that, yes, this power is in me, but we would see this power flow through me, flow through us. And that our world would be different because of it. That part of that reconciling work of Jesus would be because of our partnership with him. Our city needs it. Our families need it. This world desperately needs it. We need it. We need your power. Thank you that you've already given us everything that we need for anything that we could face. And so help us to never go back, never go back, never go back to those small old ways anymore. Jesus, we say yes to you and your power on display in our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen.